What separates you from the infinite pool of possibilities and wisdom is all predicated by the questions that you ask. Hello, hello out there. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast, where we talk about things that can bring a little bit more liberation, freedom, awareness, just basically make life in a body a little bit better. Before we get into this episode today with the absolutely lovely Maria Sipka, I have a few announcements. So this week was Mental Health Awareness Day, and my co-author Jeff Greenwald and I are giving away free digital downloads of our book, The Nine Gifts, First Aid for Mind, Body, and Spirit. The link is in the show notes. You can also find it at my website, xtinem.com or christinemariemason.com, which redirects there, but that makes it easier to find. We put a lot of scientifically proven hacks for feeling better into that book. And yes, it's lovely on the coffee table or at the bedside, but there's a lot of stuff in there that could be helpful on how to use your body's own natural healing intelligence and wisdom to feel better in the moment. I'm in, by the way, in the editing phase on another book, Refining, 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 called Mantra, Tantra, and Ayahuasca, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll in Search of the Sacred. And boy, writing is so intense. Uh, okay, second announcement. I'm, I've also been in the lab, well, the cookery lab, formulating a new psychoactive supplement, a cacao and bobinsonic infection for Radiant, for Radiant Farms. So if you have an appetite for natural plant allies in healing, you can go to radiantfarms.us if you have pain, anxiety, or simply want more joy in your day-to-day existence. And in the Daily Delight realm, I have a new group of aromatherapy candles available for pre-order at rosewoman.com, sandalwood and honey, jasmine and bergamot, rose and oud. We also have a whole new line of soaps. You can check all of that out at rosewoman.com. Okay, so I'm about to embark with you on a series of episodes about bringing awareness to intention setting and what you're here to do on earth. Like, what's your purpose? And we're going to begin with Maria Sipka, who's the founder of The Yearn, an enthusiastic community creator and a storyteller extraordinaire. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Maria. You know, my my storytelling journey really began with my parents, my father. I was born in a communist country in Czechoslovakia. So it was in the 70s. And my parents were really young. Honestly, I don't think they planned to have two young kids in their early 20s, but they did. And my father, who had just sort of finished his military training, um, he was a little bit of a renegade. He's just like he knew the kind of life that he wanted for himself and for his family. And he would stand on this hill in Bratislava and he'd look over the Danube into Austria and he could smell and taste freedom. And he's like, that's it. I'm on a mission to escape this country. By the way, they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't speak any English uh, because what I really desire for my two young girls is freedom. I want them to be raised in a country, in a place where they could be barefoot and just in nature and taste the freedom, which would then inspire whatever it is that they dreamed of that they could go out and achieve. So that's really where the storytelling journey began. <laughs> and he did. They escaped. They escaped. He, yeah. He told, because he told a new story for your family. That's an interesting idea that your future does begin with the story, with the imagined story, with an imagined new future. So, okay, let's keep going. So he gets you out. And where did you land after that as a family? So we landed into Sydney. And we literally lived in a refugee hostel. Wow. It was like, okay, you know, the Australian government paid for the travels. They said, here's some accommodation. Go and learn a little bit of English. And my parents were educated. Um, My dad's an industrial chemist. My mum studied sociology. And can you imagine, like, coming to a country with, like, $500 in your pocket and a two- and a one-year-old And so they started out by doing whatever jobs that they could. And we basically hopped from a hostel into a boarding house, into a studio apartment, and then they saved up enough money after about three or four years to go, where can we buy a block of land 
and build a house where our kids can be safe. And that that's really where their childhood would take place. So we ended up about an hour north of Sydney in the central coast in an idyllic beachside town called Umina Beach. And we lived in the bush. We don't say forest in Australia. We lived in the bushland on a big steep hill. And my whole childhood was literally walking around barefoot. We would come home when the lights turned on. We didn't have any internet and we had three TV channels. So we were out the whole time. And I grew up surfing. I grew up just playing sports and just being completely immersed in this wonderland of this little beachside town called Yamina Beach. (laughs) I love that. I want to just go back a little bit and, and make a comment on the emigrant story that what your father experienced, that your father and mother experienced, this bravery to enter a new place and have all of your identity stripped away, you have to hold a very clear vision and know who you are. Because for that whole transition time, you know, there's no reinforcement coming back from the world around you as to to remember that you're an industrial chemist and an educated person and a cable. You really have to hold it. So what a strength of character to do that. That I bet he passed that on to you or they passed that on to you. Oh, listen, my parents, my dad was so strict and he was a man on a mission (laughs) and uh, talk about the yin and the yang. And so, you know, it was really interesting, like just just some of the polarity that existed between my mum and dad where my mum's a socialist, she's all about love and light and just, you know, not really being attached to like, you know, anything as in like money or like status or power. She's just like pure, pure heart. And my dad was just like, nothing in life is for free. He's like, you know, be skeptical, look where you're going. And he was just like more tough love, right? And so, which was just such a powerful combination. And both of them were rooted in deep love and deep care and values and principles. I remember one time they're just like, okay, we've saved up some money. What what would you kids like? They like empowered us in their choices. We can either go on a trip to Europe. Now, by this stage, we're like, I don't know, 12 years old. So this is like years later, 10 years later. And um, we can either go on a trip to Europe or, you know, you can have a swimming pool and it's just like, let's go travel. Let's go travel the world. And it's amazing how you have these like crossroads in your life where it's like one decision that you collectively make can plant the seeds of possibility that then like my whole value set, for example, around money is that it's all about experiences. It's about freedom. It's never about things. And so I'm a minimalist. I don't even own a car. My wardrobe is probably a tenth of what any other woman's wardrobe. I have like one lipstick and <laughs> barely wear any makeup. And so... It was these pivotal moments along the way of this tough love, but also my mother who's more bohemian and nomadic where it really instilled who we became as kids. You're like the half and half of them, like an interweaving. I (laughs) I know, it's like constantly. (laughs) But you did go into like a real job and into a real money-making environment. You were were quite successful when you were young. So my parents really, they, they were extraordinary like my father started off as a courier doing odd jobs and then he ended up you know becoming an industrial chemist for a multinational company Um, invested all the money into real estate and then my mother she started out by selling fish and chips in the department store and she worked her way up to being a politician and then a tech entrepreneur and this all transpired in the course of about 15 years of our life so you can imagine that as a child you've been given the keys to freedom and then you've had this upbringing where you've seen your parents go from like nothing to something and rooted in values that's a big responsibility to go okay this is how it's done and so I remember my mum sitting down with me I was like 16 and she's like okay what is it that you're passionate about these conversations that you have either with your kids or with your friends it's having that one person that sits down with you to say I care about you I care about your future where is it that your heart desires you to go what do you want to learn and so we literally flick through a bunch of different university courses and she's like I really feel like you're and it's about them seeing you I really feel like your talent lends itself well to marketing communication storytelling 
And uh, we looked at the grades that you needed. We had a tertiary entrance rank, which is like your CSAT score. Uh, what, what's the scores here? <laughs> SATs. 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 ACTs. I forget what they are. Some, so some, measuring, some, I mean, because, some way of measuring how much of the dominant culture you live in and where your privilege is. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> no but seriously, so like that those was, scores do not reflect your capacity. They reflect like how much you conform to the dominant culture. Anyway, go ahead. I believe that's changed in Australia since I was at college, which was many years ago. Um, but, you know, it, you needed like 82% to get into studying marketing communications. And I'm like, I'm not academic. And so how am I going to achieve that goal? So I literally took out the yellow pages and I'm like, I need to go to a private school. I had to convince my parents to pay for it because I went to a public school. And so I studied so hard over two years and I got 82.6%. So I just scraped in to get into university just enough. And I tell you, so my mum, she, she said one thing and one thing only. She's like, listen, she's like, you're either going to love your college experience, you might feel neutral about it, you might hate it, but just mark my words, get that piece of paper. You never, ever know when you're going to need it. <laughs> and little behold, you know, I went, I, I went to college. I didn't quite enjoy the experience so much, but I kept holding on to like, I'm going to get that piece of paper. I'm going to get that piece of paper. <laughs> and I did. I got the piece of paper and that that basically opened up the portal into, you know, a couple of lucrative businesses. At the age of like 18, 19, I started really my first business, which was in content marketing. And, uh, and it was all around the psychology of how people make purchasing decisions and building storytelling programs across that, 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 that customer journey that would truly touch people in a way that was meaningful and have them go, okay, I want to learn more about this service or around this solution. So, you know, had built that business over the course of eight years with my boyfriend at the time. And um, we had invested all the money into real estate because my parents were into real estate. That's what I saw. I modeled their success. And, you know, my, my boyfriend's personal trainer, so get this, this, it's his personal trainer that, like, that's kind of his day job. He had invested all the money into real estate as well, and he had amassed a property portfolio of about 100 properties over the course of his 15, 20 years. And I'm like, how, how did you do that? And he shared a formula with us that was really straightforward and simple. And he's just like, do this, definitely don't do this. But if you follow this formula, literally down to the line item, you will be successful over the course of 10 years. So over the course of eight years, we'd been building this business, which was essentially a marketing agency. We had a team of 10. We had about 100 customers over the course of the eight years. We'd invested all the money into real estate. So when, you know, my boyfriend and I, we turned like 27, we bought like 50 properties using this formula. It was like totally wild. <laughs> it worked. It worked down to. I feel like changing the entire topic of this episode to that formula, <laughs> but let's not do that. What happened then? You guys didn't stay together or, or what was the, we were 27, you've already achieved what most people try to achieve in their whole career. I was burnt out. Our home was across the road from the office. Uh, had spent every waking moment building this business, building the real estate. Fortunately, wasn't managing the real estate. And, you know, my, my, my boyfriend was deep on a spiritual path. So he started to spend like six hours a day meditating. He was disinterested in sort of, you know, the world that, 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 that we live in. And I was burnt out. And I'm just like, what, what am I doing with my life? Like, I don't want to spend the next 10, 20, 30 years focused on wealth creation. I felt like I reached that point of freedom and I sat with that moment for a while. And I'm like, you know, other than the fact that, yes, it does buy you freedom of choice. I'm like, I, I don't even know who I am. Like, what's my purpose? Like, wh who am I? How am I going to direct whatever gifts that I have? Like, I felt like I was so disconnected from all of that. And so I went on a I went on an, an entrepreneurial trip through the entrepreneur organization to Europe. And um, one of my girlfriends that I traveled with, we were in, in Rome at the time, sitting in a cafe. She's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to go discover my purpose. 
she's like, well, what does that look like? And I'm like, I've got to get out of Australia. I've got to go see the world. I've got to go meet people and just go discover myself. So I came back and, you know, I really, really loved my, my boyfriend and his family and so on. But I could see that we were like going in completely different directions. And I'm just like, hey, we, we need to transform our partnership and I, I, need, I need to go. I left that relationship. We wound the businesses down. I went and did a 10-day Vipassana. I'm like, I need a new metaphor. I need some, I need some something to help guide this journey. And um, and here was the moment that I just really grounded into the power of storytelling. And I don't remember where it came from, but I'm like, you know, I've spent the last eight years in spreadsheets, goal setting, trying to control every aspect of how I think and what I do in my life. What if my life was a storybook or what if our life was a storybook, right? I'm 27, 28. Who knows? I've got another 60, 80 years to go. Imagine flicking through the chapters of your storybook and what if every year was just to be defined by one or two words? That's it. And at, at midnight, New Year's, every year, I'm going to just whatever that one or two words is, I'm going to surrender to synchronicity, to serendipity, and I am totally just surrendering to the flow of the universe. And um, the first year was the year of peace. And that's when I did the 10-day the, the, the Vipassana. That's where I started to spend time in the forest. I started to attract very peaceful people. I was reading books on like Zen and Buddhism, um, you know. And then the next chapter was the year of adventure. And I got on a plane and I went and traveled around the world for two years. And part of the thinking was that, call it like I've, I've been you know these chapters of the storybook now are what, what was I 27 so we're talking 20 years there's 20 chapters of this storybook uh, what was it what was this process of like catching the word so part of storytelling is that you just you can't overthink it like it, it truly does start with surrendering it is about you know one of my favorite quotes that I hold near and dear is it's the silence between the notes that makes the music okay so what I figured out because I did you know started I was already meditating but the the, the 10-day Vipassana was like what really brought it it's like when you listen to the silent whispers you could be anywhere you could be in the subway you could be you know on top of the mountain you could just be laying in bed once you quieten your mind and you just tune into this really rich, vibrant energy that, that each of us have within us, the messages just come. And sometimes it's overwhelming. It's just like it's unbelievable, the visuals and the messages. So what I do is like leading up to New Year's every year, probably like maybe four to six weeks before, I tune into like what's really coming to me through me and you know what are the silent whispers and so by the time that midnight comes it's like sometimes even even the word or two comes right at the beginning of the process like this year is the year of love <laughs> so it's just it's just there it comes and hits you and you're like great I'll take it and then I just surrender to it I want to just make a note here for anybody who isn't familiar with Vipassana we probably mentioned it in some other episodes it's a very transformative practice and uh, most of the time you're going and you're sitting, you don't read, you don't write, you don't talk to anyone, you do five sits a day, you might do some walking meditation, and you just like sit in silence with yourself. And that, for many people, the first few days of Vipassana is like crazy making, they want to off themselves, because their minds are detoxing, and and it's so uncomfortable so to, excuse me, it's so uncomfortable to sit alone with your thoughts. But then... Something happens around day four or five where you like zoom out, you like become witness conscious and you realize I'm just sitting in a room by myself and nothing else is happening and I'm, up, I'm this upset. It's totally a creation of my mind. Nothing is happening here. I am not in danger. And, and then the creativity and the insights begin to come. It's such a, everyone I know, I, I, you know, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but every person I know who's in this sort of light and habitated indwelled way of being in the world has done Vipassana every single one so yay okay well, it, is, <laughs> it was one of the it was one of the most excruciatingly painful experiences I've ever 
I've, I've, so you know, I've done endless me- I've done endless medicine journeys and gone into the darkness. I've delivered birth twice. I've experienced a lot in my life. <laughs> and sitting in silence for 10 days with yourself is probably right. <laughs> one of the most confronting experiences. And that is good. Yeah. That is good because life is messy. Life is confronting. And I knew what I was getting myself into because I'm like, listen, when you when you just surrender and you put yourself out into the world, you're going to experience rejection over and over again. Like it's going to be thrown at you. And it's like, if I can sit in silence and really cozy up with myself and know who I am, then, you know, I can withstand anything. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so. I, I want to make one other little, little note, and that's on the New Year's concept, because this year I had a big shift in that idea. Um, my friend, Chief Philip Scott, who's a Lakota chief, he's been doing ceremony at the house and, and uh, for people once a month, like meditation, not medicine ceremony. And he taught us that in all indigenous traditions, New Year's is in the spring. That if you do New Year's in the middle of the winter, you're fighting nature's cycles. And so I, I move my New Year's to Nowruz, like basically in alignment with the Persian calendar, so that as I was preparing that the real New Year is, is in in line with the spring equinox. So we're, we're at this point, we're listening for our word, we've grabbed our word, and now you've done that for decades, and you've made this beautiful collection of stories or narratives or themes of the year. Then what? So <laughs> backtrack to um, going in search of your purpose and really discovering, like, who, who are you? So I traveled around the world for a couple of years. I went to every country imaginable to Morocco, to India, to China, to Mexico. Mm. I was climbing mountains. I was staying in hostels. I was staying on couches and fancy hotels, the whole gamut. Mm. You know, I met people across the full diversity of life, the depth and the breadth from, you know, rickshaw drivers in Mumbai and India who, by the way, I the, the energy and the frequency and the happiness of meeting somebody that, like, lives in their tuk-tuk and just, like, eats from the street and then – ferries people around, I was so mesmerized by people's energy. I started to tune into people's energy. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I met um, the Prince of Saudi Arabia, Prince Turkai. And I remember being at the Goodwood car races that we went in his helicopter on. And I'm just like, what lights you up? Like what really makes you tick? And he's like, I love getting in a plane and just going straight down towards the earth and seeing how far I can go before I can weave off. And I'm like, (laughs) I felt like, wow. Okay. From the tuk-tuk driver to like the prince, it's just like this, this is like fascinating. And, And then the hundreds of people that I met in between over two years, I arrived at a point where I'm like, I have truly discovered what I'm passionate about and what lights me up and what I can work with, right? And I hadn't yet addressed the question of like, what's my purpose? What's my mission? And so those three discoveries was this deep love for human beings, all of us. I mean, fast forward 20 years, we're all one. Okay. Like, you know, we aren't separate, but back when I was in my twenties, I started to embody that, see that. It wasn't just somebody telling me. It wasn't like, you know, a a Zen teacher going, we're all one. It's like, you you need to go out and experience this. And so whatever it is that I do, it's got to really be immersed in the sea of humanity. The second was storytelling. Like coming from Australia, being raised in Australia and the Indigenous Aborigines and having spent time in Uluru and, you know, in different communities and learning about dream time and how, you know, generations of rituals and cultures and medicines and values and the ways of being was all drawn in caves and by sitting around the fire sharing stories, it was no different from today. That's what we do. You know, we come together with human beings, we bring our energy, we bring our curiosity, and we ask questions exactly. Like you you are, like I truly believe that our collective superpower of all of humanity is storytelling. And so I was so lit up by just this discovery, having again experienced it. And then I'm just like, okay, like with all of the hundreds of people that I've met, like I've just accumulated like hundreds of stories and every one of those stories is within me and now I'm creating from that place and I'm like that's it whatever it is that I do my superpower is going to be connecting people and ideas to one another 
through storytelling, through this frequency. <laughs> I, I love that you said the questions, like what are you learning? And even that exercise of walking in the world and your inquiry with people being what brings you joy, what brings you pleasure, what's your purpose, what are you here to do? That prompt alone is going to get you a whole different level of intimacy with what it means to be in a human body than how are you, you know? Those are great questions. Well, what, what, thank you. And what separates you from the infinite pool of possibilities and wisdom is all predicated by the questions that you ask. Oh my gosh, I will just let's stay here. <laughs> create a create a toolkit of questions. <laughs> let's let's stay there. There's a whole bunch of those now. Like I feel they're kind of like remedial conversational decks, you know? Like I don't know what to ask people. I have one on the Rosebud site, by the way. It's a hundred questions to ask your mother about her sensual, sexual, and reproductive life. <laughs> Believe me, when people do that, when they do that questionnaire, their relationship with their mother changes completely. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm having a moment even trying to visualize having that those conversations with my mother. <laughs> it was born of a it was born of an insight from a, a survey we did where women said that the hardest person to talk to about those things was their mother, and we were like, that's the line of transmission, and it's basically through shame been severed. So can we change it by? beginning the dialogue anyway um so so ask good questions ask wisely do you have any others that are that are some of the ones you like to ask i love to ask people you know where where are you directing your energy right now like what's what's really on your mind what's in your heart what have you been feeling lately obviously what's most present what lights you up <laughs> I was with, um, with one of my girlfriends uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of her friends that she wanted to introduce us to was also, we were all together and the first question that I asked him, I'm like, what do you really care about? <laughs> I was like, oh, I, you know, he's like, I, I, I care about peace. I said, so how, how do you embody that? Like how does, how does peace translate itself within you or within whatever it is that you're passionate about? And let's just say we skipped the small talk. We went straight to the core of what this man cares about and went on the most epic adventure conversationally over the course of the next two hours. Mm, those are the best. That's lifelong friendship in the works. That's what happens when you enter at that level of dialogue is the, uh, you begin to cultivate this, these like threads of light that are woven with everybody that you've ever spoken with it creates this beautiful tapestry around the world and also like shocks you into realizing how many ways there are to live and, and the judgment begins to soften and the separation begins to soften. So I feel like your journey itself is a meta-narrative on peace, on human connection. Well, there's, there's, thank you. And there's no greater gift that we can give one another than our presence and listening and receiving, and sometimes within five minutes, people really feel that. Like for people to feel seen and accepted and exactly as you just said, not judged, there is no greater gift. I mean, and I practice that every day with my husband, with my kids, with any human being, whether I'm in an Uber or at the dog park, at the cafe, you know, and it's a good barometer of like how much capacity and what level of presence we have because I find that when I'm not connecting with people and being in that space of curiosity, then I feel like I need to go nourish myself and build capacity so that I can fully show up in those moments and share that gift. That That is how we change the frequency in the world is truly seeing one another my friend life is working with me and every time I stop making eye contact, he's like, make eye contact, <laughs> be with me. Don't be with your computer or your phone. Um, very human admission right there. Okay. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the yearn, how that happened? Yeah. What it is and how that happened? So how it happened is that um, I fell in love. Like I truly fell in love with an extraordinary man, a man that I'd known for seven or eight years and I'd never really seen him. And so we came together 
at Burning Man, when I say came together, um, that's where we first realized that we were a possibility for one another. And we were both in relationships at the time. So three months had passed and then we were both out of relationships and he invited me to Spirit Rock to um, come and attend our resiliency experience with Linda Graham and meditate a little bit. And so we we had this beautiful experience at Spirit Rock where we stared into each other's eyes for seven minutes and it was seven minutes my turn, seven minutes his turn, and we could choose what question the other person would ask. Again, questions. And so you had a choice of like five questions and I remember I the question I chose for him to ask me was, you know, what brings you joy? And then he stared into my eyes for seven minutes whilst I answered that question. And then he had me ask him, what are you grateful for? And so I then spent seven minutes looking into his eyes and asking him that question. And that's really where we fell in love. And it's in it. And that was uh, five and a half years ago. So we went back to Spirit Rock three months into our relationship where we're like, let's define our core values as a couple. So we went through this, we snuck into one of the rooms upstairs whilst there was some session going on. <laughs> I remember it was like raining and we sat on some pillows and we spent half a day really, really grounding into our relationship core values. And so where we landed was that the first core value is around health, mental, spiritual, physical health. If we're not healthy, how, how are we going to achieve any of these other core values or show up for any of these other core values? The second was learning and growth. Like this, this visceral commitment to learn and grow in a way as sovereign individuals and also as a couple and also as community. So the third core value was family. And then the fourth core value was around conscious community. So we defined our core values and we're like, okay, we sort of looked at each other's friends and and you know arrived at a point where we're like, okay, we have a clean slate. What does building conscious community look like? Like what do we truly value in, you know, you're, you're some of the five people that you spend time with and, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. Like so there are all of these like principles and, you know, ideologies that are out there around building community. Um, but we made, you know, we were so committed to building community and I love the words you used earlier, which was about this tapestry. It's weaving a tapestry because as soon as you start investing time into building community, it, it's like you learn about one another in so many multidimensional ways and, and you start weaving this, this tapestry. And we realized that how we would show up in community was either through salon dinners, um, it was either through festivals, um, et cetera. So, you know, we started going to various different festivals like Ondalinda, Burning Man. We'd been to a number of different entrepreneurial gatherings. We started hosting um, dinners in our home. And we arrived at a point where it was just like, well, what would it look like if we were to create our own festival, like micro festival? Like, what would that look like? And so when we were at Ondalinda, we were in, a, we were in um, a home with a few other friends and one of those other friends was Justin, Justin Choice. His vision was also to create a festival and we had this vision that we would like travel to festivals together and then COVID hit. So the first year of COVID in the lead up to Burning Man, everybody was isolated and all of Justin's friends were like, come on, dude, put on a festival, put on a festival. And he's like, we can't, we can't. Like there are rules around this. Like, you know, we're supposed to be isolated at home. And, you know, one of his friends was the co-owner of Two Bunch Palms in, in Palm Springs. And over the course of a couple of months or two or three months, we're like, okay, let's do it. Like let's create a festival during Burning Man, we'll call it the yearn because everybody was yearning for something. And it started out really as a super fun gathering and everyone was having a good time and, you know, we triple COVID tested. We had like silent discos. We, there was probably like 70 friends that were there. And what transpired after the second evening 
um, Tim Chang, who's who's in the community, he was at the first Yearn. You know, he got up in front of everybody and he had this like heart that was lit up and he's like, listen, listen up, everyone. He's just like the world has changed. The world is suffering. People are suffering. And we're all here having fun. And you know what? We know how to have fun. We've been doing that for years. But what I really challenge each of you is to go back into your communities and to share the goodness, to share the light, to create impact. And I want each of you to commit that we're going to shift from frivolous fun to intentional fun, purposeful fun, fun with purpose. And Gary and I were like, oh, he's speaking our language. Like, And as we started to um, connect with the folks that were at this festival, what everybody loved was the human connection experiences. It was the intentionality experiences. It was the sound baths. And what became obvious was that people were craving to come together to experience all of these different modalities to learn, to grow, and to be able to go back into their communities, you know, with impact. So the second year, we started working on making it more intentional, introducing more modalities. We established a church so we could um, serve medicine and, um, and we came up with a series of core values and started to attract and grow the community. And the way that we describe the yearn is that it's the gateway event for the conscious curious. So all of us as we're out there, I mean, we live in a bubble here in San Francisco, but, you know, as I'm out in the world, my husband Gary's an investment banker, so he's speaking to CEOs and investors every single week. And so we show up more in our professional you know, attire and, and having professional conversations. But, you know, every time you meet somebody, and it's like every second or third person we meet now, there's that spark of curiosity that these folks might not be ready to go to Burning Man. They might not be ready to do a Vipassana. They might not be ready to... to go and try plant medicine. So we invite them into a safe space that's rooted in core values and we curate a beautiful choose-your-own-adventure experience amongst a community of about now 150 people that now come to these events. We're, we're, we're on to our fifth year and, and everybody's at different stages of development. There's people that are just waking up through to people that are very awoke. There's the cross-pollination and diversity of community that comes to the yearn. It's really to catalyze people into different pathways through connecting with one another, new friendships, new communities, new modalities, and just different ways of being. And when people arrive at the yearn, their identity doesn't matter. We don't want to know, like, like, what's your title? How many companies have you built? Like, what we, those questions that we were asking before, it is, you know, what lights you up? It's all about seeing the human being in their full essence in community, learning together, celebrating together, and, and, and having this opportunity to go back to their homes, their communities, their companies, and either start that journey or immerse deeper into the journey. I think that's beautiful. I have a project that's Tim Chang adjacent in Bali, Dwachandra, which I really hope you'll come over there. And I can, I, I feel that is truly his core mission. And this idea of passing on the light and fun with purpose, like it, life is supposed to be pleasurable and it's no, it's not enough when it's just pleasurable for the self alone. There's something in yoga like about receiving for the self alone versus receiving for transmission and to increase the flow between that I think is so beautiful. So is that still going on the yearn? It, it is the absolute catalyst and highlight of our year is the yearn because as you can imagine, as we're all out in the world, we're meeting people and we're constantly, we, we aim for a 60% of the participants to be new. So it's not a clicky community. You, f- you feel like when you arrive that you've walked into a space of infinite possibilities there, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people arrive like stiff, 
<laughs> you know, we give them a big hug and we're like, okay, you're about to go on a very, very special, fun, purposeful journey. And by the second evening, it's like popcorn. You can see them pop, pop, pop. And then like, you know, come Saturday night, they're like standing under the stars going, how do we get to feel like this all the time? You know, people people are feeling quite emotional because it's like I've, I've never even seen myself in this light, let alone having other people witness me and nobody knows what I what I do or who I am from that perspective. And so it's very pure and very beautiful. It's 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 really the best way to describe it is community alchemy. There's an art to that, to creating a space that's safe enough for people to drop in and open. And sometimes even just looking at like what is it that allows someone to uh, let the shell go, let the mask go, represent their full selves. And I'm sure that you could really break that down. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to move on to, um, something that we talked about before the call, which is, uh, like you name your houses. You know, you, you, you name, uh, narratives as their beginning in your life. I mean, I think once I had, like, we did name our cars for a while, like the Black Fantastic. There was a car called Veronica, you know, um, but I'm, I'm interested in letting people in on the way you're storifying your own life and using story to transmit some of these ideas of belonging and community. It's such a yummy, yummy space to be in. Again, stories and storytelling is whimsical. It's fun. It's dramatic too, right? It's a full spectrum. It's not just all rainbows and unicorns and riding the magical carpet ride. There's also, you know, the full spectrum of emotions. And so, again, when my husband and I first met, our, within, within, within weeks because our hearts were open, we were filled with so much love and, like, we could just be connected to the whole universe through this sacred partnership, Um I created a group on Facebook, private group for him and I, and I called it the story of the sun and the moon because his surname is Moon and I'm his sunshine. And I'm like, okay, like that's the story for our our sacred container. And then within that group, any time that we would have an experience, you know, I'd post photos and just share a story. And it's really a reminder of planting all of those seeds of possibility. So within a few months, we'd moved into our home and part of – our core values in building conscious community we had you know we were very passionate about hosting salon dinners in our home and so our first home we're like let's name it the story house like why give somebody an address with a few numbers and a street name um why not invite them that we like the invitation is like come come to the story house and so part of that experience then was that we would create a space. There would be eight to ten friends and we, you know, what, what makes the yearn extraordinarily powerful and any salon dinners are Jeffersonian conversations. So, again, the question that you set the stage with and then enabling everybody to respond to that with their own story. And can you imagine, like, when you're sharing your response to whatever that question is, then to be seen and witnessed, like that's how we learn. We learn through stories versus advice or guidance. And so we would host these salon dinners and we that's where we started to weave, you know, the tapestry of this community. So then when we moved into our second home, our permanent home, we call it the lighthouse because there's so much light that's in the house, you know, from the front of the house to the back of the house. So again, you know, we invite people to come into the lighthouse. So every experience, you know, your home, each other, the collective, I literally just created a community as, as you know, Christine, um, of, the most potent and powerful and impact-driven women that I've met over the course of the last few years, right back to 20 years, it's not, you know, that I was really intentional about, okay, what's what's an appropriate name for this group of women? Because whatever you name something, like that is the energy that you infuse into the collective and what transpires for that. So, you know, I create that the name that I came up with was stewardesses of light. You know, we're all stewarding our light through our creation. And the intention of this group is to see one another, receive one another, elevate one another, share events and resources, be able to ask for help, be able to celebrate. And, you know, what's transpired just in the last week 
it just, again, adds to this rich tapestry of how we as individuals experience life. So it's not just about the word or the story. It's um, what I learned through, you know, a dear friend, Azria Baker. Um, they're building a temple in Zinwatanejo and they've named the temple Kavana, which is a Hebrew word for the energy that you place into the intention or the prayer. And so when we're really orientating ourselves to storytelling or words or pictures, however it is that you choose to express, it's the Kavana that is infused into that creation. Sounds a lot like covenant. Interesting. What does that evoke for you? Like it, the, the promise, the the, the 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 sort of the soul agreement, you know? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Coming up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Maria, I could listen to you talk for hours and hours. I can't believe it's already been an hour. I'd love to direct us now into just some suggestions you have for people who are looking to incorporate more magic and more story into their life. Obviously, they can't be you. They can't do it as you. You've had this incredible, you know, multi-decade journey of traveling the world and, and basically living into this. Uh, so, so while retaining their unique individuality, what are some things you would suggest for people who are looking to incorporate story and magic? Mm. What I would inspire anyone listening to this is that first sit down in a place that you feel grounded and that you feel alive and that you feel like you're in a space of possibilities and ask yourself the question, what's your storybook? What are going to be the chapters that you want to flick through and how does that story weave together in a way that that taps into your essence like what is it that your heart desires and so you start off with your storybook and the first chapter of that storybook and with the first chapter of the storybook it's again listening to the silent whispers you know what is it that is flowing through you yearning for you 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 might feel exhausted and burnt out so it may be the year of peace Um, you might be bursting with creativity and so it's the year of creating you might be feeling love in your heart and it's the year of love there are infinite portals that you can anchor into and uh and play around with it Um, so what's absolutely critical is that it's this is not a mind exercise it's not about overthinking it It's, it's about tuning into what you feel in your heart and looking at the clues because there are clues everywhere so as you're really tuning into the chapter of your storybook what have you observed in the previous days or weeks or months what keeps coming up for you and all of those clues are there that's the universe that's like flowing through you to go hello like I'm here and (laughs) and once you really feel into a word or a couple of words that will be the chapter of your storybook from there just surrender to it like it it may start to immediately show up people might start coming into your life or like certain books or podcasts or opportunities. You might find yourself wandering in different parts of your neighborhood or different parts of the world. It's trusting the process because what I can wholeheartedly attest to is that after 12 months, you do look back and you would never have even imagined how that story unfolds. That's where you truly become a believer in it because of all the twists and the turns and that's where the magic you know when you surrender that is where the magic starts to show up Mm. do you have a theme for your year this year you said love it's the year of love yeah it's the year that we got married your marriage story was uh very beautiful the sort of the way you held the uh, the ceremony and the way you invited people in i maybe you could tell a little bit about that (laughs) so if it's not too personal. Yeah, no, no, no absolutely. Um, it's actually something that Gary and I really value is to be able to just share vulnerably any parts of ourselves and our story and show people what's possible. 
And, uh, and that's how we all learn from one another. Like once you see it in somebody else, you're like, I didn't even know that was possible. And so we arrived at a point where um, we're like, how do we create a yearn-like festival slash spiritual retreat for our family and friends that would never come to something like a yearn? And we're like, okay, if it's a wedding, they're just going to have to come. So <laughs> we have a home down in Todos Santos. It's a very sacred place for, for, for us. It's where we feel grounded and at peace and just like the just the sheer force of the ocean and the desert and it's very dry. Um, we decided to uh, host our, our wedding uh, down in Todos Santos in Mexico. So now we've invited 70 family and friends and the invitation was through our spirit animal. So at the lighthouse, every time we look out, there's like trees and we're constantly seeing hummingbirds. And hummingbirds are these extraordinary birds that really call people to presence. So they flap their wings 80 times in a second. They can actually fly backwards and they're so beautiful and so majestical and colourful and elegant and graceful and they drink the nectar and then they fly off. And so we found an artist in La Paz who um, is a lithograph, he does lithographs, and we asked him to create a hummingbird and then we shared the story of the hummingbird. So the invitation was calling people into presence and over the course of four days we hosted a festival slash spiritual retreat and, you know, part of the whole setting was the sun and the moon and the cosmos and part of the magic of bringing 70 family and friends together is you know we were on a mission for people to meet one another in the most intentional way and so we came up with a series of constellations and so each night there would be eight to ten in each of the constellations I think there was like seven or eight maybe eight constellations and each constellation had a starlight so we designated one of the guests to be the starlight because whoever goes first in responding to the question really sets the stage for the question so as people arrived we gave them all wristbands and little trinkets that would represent the theme for the evening and we based all of the conversation themes around our values so it was community it was adventure. It was love. So the questions that we were asking is like, what's the greatest adventure that you've been on in your life ever? And how has that impacted who you are today? So by the end of the uh, wedding, everybody drops so deep. The tapestry of these 70 souls was so deeply enmeshed in this yumminess of love and nature and adventure and possibility that all of them just walked away feeling lit up and <laughs> nourished and they all felt loved. The level of intentionality and design that you bring into living your life is inspiring me so much. Thank you. I feel this call to go into a little tiny room at Spirit Rock with my partner and envision our next whatever years. But we have been working on this values thing, by the way, and it, it, it's been so potent uh, to see like how they overlap and where they're different and what we envision together. Uh, by the way, uh, Spirit Rock is, for those of you who are not Marinites, is the meditation center in Marin that is the home of Jack Kornfeld and many other wonderful insight meditators. So if you're ever looking for a place to get away, do that Vipassana or uh, just spend some time in silence or getting to know yourself. It's a great place to head to. Can people apply to the yearn? How do they get into it? How do I get into one of your designed experiences? I'll, uh, I'll share a link. It's yearn.org and, and you can share it in your call notes and or, you know, feel free for people to connect to me. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook. So Maria Sipka. <laughs> okay. Well, I love I loved speaking with you. Any final words? I'd love to quickly share the story of the dandelion because that's really the gift that I wish to pass on to anyone that's listening. You know, imagine for a moment that you're a dandelion. Dandelions are one of the most majestic and 
beautiful flowers that really grounds us into our childhood. Like who didn't pick a dandelion and make a wish and blow on that dandelion? And so dandelions, what's really majestic and magical is that each dandelion actually has 10 lives. It, it, it will like form a flower and then a little fuzzball. And each of these fuzzballs, I think it's called a pupa is, um, or a papa, it's, uh, it has about 150 to 200 seeds that then have these threads. And these threads are like parachutes. So when the wind comes and blows on the dandelion, it picks up these threads. And depending on the humidity in the air or how dry the air is, these seeds can fly up to 70 miles and land and spawn a new dandelion. And so the dandelions continue to propagate. And what's absolutely powerful about the dandelion is that it really truly represents the collective power of storytelling and propagation and how every moment can be a seed of possibility. Every time you meet somebody, every time you meet yourself, you're spawning seeds of possibilities. And all I see are just these fields of dandelions. Of course, there's super dandelions like you that are out there, Christine, because you're just propagating and spreading goodness at such tremendous scale. And that's really... The magic of nature and the wind and all of the elements. Yeah, we're cooperating with the wind. I love this story. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us in this conversation. Here are some takeaways, some things you can think about leaving the episode. What is your theme of the year? What are you manifesting? Have you named your cars, your house, or animated or enchanted your world in some way? And if not, Might you be able to do that and see what happens? Does it bring more play into day-to-day life? Third, what kind of questions can you ask as your standard intro that might drop you more into a direct or meaningful conversation as opposed to staying sort of on the weather? Another takeaway is how do you create spaces of intentional connection or get involved in more of those spaces so that we increase the density and quality of the fabric of our connection. And finally, what stories do you want to tell? So those are some some good prompts and takeaways. And you know that I like to add a little something near the end that has some magic. And if you'll recall, we started this episode with Maria talking about magic carpets. And magic carpets have been a popular theme in folklore and mythology. You've definitely heard of them from 1001 Arabian Nights, where uh, the legendary Queen Scheherazade is talking about the flying carpet. King Solomon in the Jewish tradition had a carpet made of green silk that could fly rapidly and carry many people. There's a story by E. Nesbitt called The Phoenix and Her Carpet, where children find a magic carpet and a phoenix egg, and then they go on these adventures with magical entities. Russian fairy tales have a lot of magic carpets. They grant their writers protection and sometimes even offer advice. There's a collection of tall tales by Rudolf Raspi called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Disney's Aladdin, of course, which you know, that's an adaptation of 1001 Nights. Tibetan traditions have monks having the ability to travel across vast distances on small mats which are associated with their more profound spiritual powers. And I thought I might end by telling you the story, a condensed version of the Tsar's lost son and the magic carpet. Once upon a time, in a land where winters were long and harsh, Tsar Ivan had a son named Alexei. Alexei was spirited away by a mysterious wind while playing in the gardens. Distraught, Tsar Ivan declared that anyone who could find his lost son would receive half his kingdom. A young humble villager named Yuri heard of the Tsar's proclamation, and he had recently come into possession of a tattered old carpet from his grandmother, who whispered on her deathbed that it was no ordinary carpet. One moonlit night, Yuri unrolled the carpet, sat on it, and to his astonishment it began to rise and float. The magic carpet flew him to the realm of the Snow Queen, a land of perpetual winter and shimmering ice. In the Snow Queen's palace, Yuri found Alexei held under a spell with no memory of his past. The Snow Queen, taken by Yuri's bravery, agreed to release Alexei if Yuri could best her in three challenges. And with wit, courage, and a bit of help from the magic carpet, 
Yuri completed each task set before him. True to her word, the Snow Queen released Alexei. The magic carpet carried swiftly the two back to their homeland, and Tsar Ivan, overjoyed, offered Yuri half his kingdom. Yuri, however, wished only for a peaceful life in his village. Grateful, he returned the carpet to its resting place, knowing that its magic was meant for special moments. Alexei and Yuri became lifelong friends, and the story of the magic carpet became legend, a tale of bravery, friendship, and the magic that exists in unexpected places. So I thought that was a pretty good one to add to our prompts. Where is the magic in unexpected places? Where does the wisdom come to you from a secret ally? Where do you step out of your comfort zone for no reward uh, to go and take care or rescue or bring someone home? If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. You can tag me or find me at the.rose.woman on Instagram. Or please, please, please visit the two organizations that sponsor this show, RadiantFarms.us and RoseWoman.com for beautiful plant allies and personal care products. Love, peace, blessings, and boy, oh boy, especially this week, peace. Shanti, shanti, shantihi. Peace of the past, no regrets. Peace of the present and peace of the future, no worries. Shanti, shanti, shanti. All right out there, much love.